right, Tyler, what are you obsessed with this week? Devin, this one has been driving me crazy all week long. So this is a great, great thing to get off my chest and to talk about. Okay, great. So, so Devin, I was recently reading about a report that was talking about the really big problems in the organ donation process. Okay. okay? And I ran across this article that said that there are thousands of individuals waiting on the the wait list. Mm -hmm. And there are also a huge number of individuals who are dying without getting uh, an organ transplant. Right. So in the order of tens of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. And recently there was a congressional hearing. So this article that I was reading is talking about the congressional hearings that recently happened. Have you heard about this? Uh, No, I haven't. Go on. Okay. All right. So this article that I was reading is talking about these congressional hearings and there's going to be some changes to the process. Mm -hmm. But the article that I was reading was from 1986. Whoa. Okay. So, but we've like improved a bunch since then, right? No, we haven't. That's the thing. So the, it was... Interesting because this article was talking about this these hearings that were happening in nineteen in the mid eighties about the inequality and the inefficiencies in the organ allocation system. Mm-hmm. And so, in the United States, there are there's one organization. It's a not for profit organization called the United Network Organ Sharing. Uh, what is it like? Company? I don't know. Hold on a second. No, no, no. Just the United you know. Network for Organ Sharing. For organ sharing, yeah. yeah. So it's this organization, this nonprofit organization that has an exclusive contract with the United States government to not only run the the matching system, but also to, to be involved in how these organs are being distributed. And they've recently come under some, I would say, very pointed criticisms. Right. So UNOS is this like massive, you know, they call it almost like a quasi governmental agency because it has this exclusive contract. It has what some people are now calling a monopoly. Right. So it shouldn't be the case that one company has the the only access to this like huge resource that, you know, and if they were like really good at running it, maybe we'd look the other way. But apparently they're not great at running it, or at least there are massive inefficiencies and lots of people who could, whose lives could have been saved if only the program had been run better. And that's pretty daunting. Right. And so recently there's been some, about a year ago, there were some congressional hearings, mostly led out of, uh, you know, Senator Warren from Massachusetts has been at the forefront of looking into reforming, at least examining, shedding some light on the organ uh, allocation and, and transplantation process Mm -hmm. and recently they just made it so this in the past week there was a change in the policy or in the process that would allow other organizations besides UNOS to basically step up and say wait a second maybe we can run this whole system better than UNOS has been running it Mm -hmm. which seems like a good idea to me right yeah, competition being what drives innovation. I feel like that's kind of like the American capitalist ideal, right? Yeah. Would it surprise you to learn that UNOS has been the only organization 
to have this contract with the government to run this. It's a nationwide contract and they've had exclusivity for over 40 years since the process, since the system was established. It's not surprising given what I know about healthcare, but it should be, right? Like <laughs> we all know that like there's like these three organizations that run all of the electronic healthcare records. I always think about and like how bad they are and how slow they are to adjust and like what an absolute pain it is to like change the system in any way. Like we just have these massive companies running really important stuff and they're not like hooked up to the latest IT. I remember the, it was it last year, you know, the system went down for like 40 minutes and it just created absolute chaos. So your your whole system can't just crash. That meant that like people didn't know where the organs were going for 40 minutes. And that might not seem like a long time, but that meant that people died um, who could yeah, have received organs. Absolutely. And that crash got a lot of media attention, but it's apparently not the first time or the the most significant time that this process, this system has failed. And like you said, it's based upon technology. So it's very technologically, uh, you know, there are algorithms on the allocation and how they are being distributed, even within smaller markets and small regional areas. But the technology is so important to so many people, particularly people who are waiting for these organs and the inefficiencies and the failures and the breakdowns in the system are absolutely mind boggling. There was one statistic that was shared that it, that the organ procurement organizations or UNOS, which operates or oversees the, the organ procurement organizations, that the, it's something like five times more likely to lose or damage a human organ in transit than an airline is to lose or damage a piece of luggage. Well, that is totally mind boggling because I feel like I have to buy a new suitcase every time I travel because of the ways that it's handled. Like it just like is falling apart by the time I get it on the other end. So if like airlines are better at this than the people who are in charge, and it's not the people's problem, I'm sure, but like the sort of system in which, you know, these organs are so fragile and delicate and nobody doesn't understand that. So is it just that they're going too far? Is it... Right? Like, are they traveling too far? Like, what is the problem? I think it's so complicated that there isn't one problem that's able to be fixed, right? So it's not just a transportation issue. It's not a logistical issue. It's also a question about how we decide, we being UNOS, how UNOS decides who gets which organ. Mm -hmm. And the organs are all treated a differently because there are different um, processes and different uh statistics and data and, and techn technologies involved in which how organs like for example in a heart is treated differently than a kidney is treated differently than a set of lungs or a pancreas or something like that mm -hmm. so the way in which it's allocated is really complicated but also people on the waiting list all have different medical needs they all live in different places they all live different distances from the transplantation centers so all of these things and there and those issues or those characteristics of the patient who needs the organ can be constantly changing as well mm -hmm. they're not uh you know they could be getting sicker and sicker and sicker as they're waiting which most people do and then they would if we we're allocating the organs based upon who needs it the most which is one you know model of allocating scarce resources 
whoever needs it the most. That person, as they continue to get sicker, would theoretically move up the line mm -hmm. and be and be higher on the list, right? I mean, um, that seems so terribly complicated. Like, how does Yunos know minute by minute? So some of the patients that we see are just can crash really quickly. And so they move from like, definitely needs an organ, but not now to needing it right now within the course of maybe an hour. And how do you communicate that with a giant organization that then is trying to find those organs? It just seems if, if what you're doing is basing it on sickness and not on geography, that the acuity of the illness seems really complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. And it's always changing. Mm -hmm. And it is dependent upon how sick the patient is in all other aspects of their lives, right? So the, the term we use is comorbidities. Mm -hmm. So if I have, if I'm in liver failure, it's not just my liver that's going to be a problem. It's going to be everything that kind of stems or falls out of that liver failure. It could be my heart. It could be infections. It could be, uh, you know, problems with the weight, the delirium and all these other issues that also complicate the assessment of whether or not I am the best person to get this. And, you know, if we want to make this even more complicated or try to unpack it a little <laughs> bit more, the way in which the United States healthcare system is structured favors who? Uh, um, the most vulnerable. Oh, just yes, kidding. Yes, the people who need it. <laughs> oh, no. No, that's not I bet our that's healthcare not system. Yeah. So if it's not the most vulnerable, it's probably and it's the, not really the sickest always, right? It it's richest? not really the person who needs it the most. Uh, Wait, is, it, is it the people who it, have the most money? Oh, I'm afraid it is. Oh, no. <laughs> and it's not just like an individual being able to go out and purchase a kidney, right? It's not just because there, there are really strict rules about compensation and, and you can't buy and sell human organs in the United States. It's illegal. So the people who have access to resources, in particular people who have access to massive amount of resources, are able to game the system in a way that benefits them to the detriment of everybody else. Does this sound familiar in any way? I mean, it does, but I guess... I guess I don't understand how that works, Tyler, because part of the reasoning behind not being able to buy and sell organs is that it would disproportionately hurt the poor. And it's one way of trying to level the field. So how is it that rich people are still gaming the system to get organs over people who are poor? So here's so one of the, the most popular examples that people look to to illustrate this problem is Steve Jobs. Okay. So founder uh, you've heard of him <laughs> uh, founder of of Apple and he was I think he had pancreatic cancer so he was looking for a donation for a he needed a uh, pancreas donation mm -hmm. and what he was able to do so one of the requirements of getting an organ is you have to live within a certain distance of a transplantation center. Mm -hmm. And also you have to be listed in that either state or region's um, list of people who need the organ. So you have to get on the, the wait list. And so what Steve Jobs was able to do, and there's a, there's some disagreement about whether how factual all of these uh, little points are because a lot of the records are 
are sealed or confidential or people don't really know exactly how it happened. But the the story is that he was able to not only did he have access to a you know Gulfstream jet private jet that could get him anywhere that he needed to go within an hour or two in the United States, but he was able to purchase property and establish legal residency in various states mm -hmm. close to transplantation centers. So, for example, one of the biggest ones in the Midwest is in. Um, in Nashville, like at Vanderbilt, for example. So for example, if I'm trying to optimize the opportunities that I have to get an organ, particularly an organ that is, is, is quite scarce and there's a lot of people on the waiting list, if I buy a house next door to the transplant center outside of Detroit at, at Henry Ford and one outside of Nashville uh, near Vanderbilt and one outside of Houston at MD Anderson, these big transplantation centers, then um, you know, I can get on multiple lists and uh, up up the chances that I'm going to be able to get access to an organ in yeah. that way. It's like going out to dinner and everything is really booked and you put your name on the wait list for a table at five different restaurants <laughs> and whichever one comes up first, that's where you decide to go to dinner. Well, and this is really just the, it's not like, you know, the kind of rich and the middle class and the poor, this is like the mega rich because not many people can just buy a home in multiple locations near transplant centers. Mm -hmm. Or at least not many people I know. Right, right, yeah. So it's a very small you know, subset of the, the country that are able to do this, but it also trickles down to other issues of access, particularly access with, with when health, uh, when finances are the, the driving force. So for example, if I am somebody who is financially struggling, getting access to preventative care and getting access to diagnostic care and taking time off of work to go to all of these appointments and being able to navigate the healthcare system and being able to you know, physically get to my appointments. I mean, these are huge burdens for individuals and uh, at any point, if I am not diligent or I miss an appointment or something gets rescheduled, it just throws a wrench into the entire process and, and it just slows down the, the, the ways in which people can get access to these life saving. And, and often it's, it's not just, this is going to improve your life. It's like you get this organ or you die. Right. These, the stakes could not be higher. Right. And I, um, I haven't done a ton of work uh, with our hospitals on, you know, allocating um, organs. It's something actually I just signed up to do because I'm really curious about this topic. But it also seems to me that there's this question of like adherence and are they going to, is this individual going to preserve this organ in a responsible way? And so if you're constantly missing appointments because you don't have good transportation, that might look on the healthcare end like you're just non-adherent to the medical regimen. And maybe you're not a person we want to give an organ to because we could give it to somebody who would take care of it better and it would preserve their life longer. So these are other ways in which being poor and having health disparities trickles down the way to you know being a responsible person that we would want to give an organ to. And it shouldn't be that way. And hopefully most of our hospitals are, are thinking about the bigger picture and, and helping people to get access to healthcare. But I can see how, you know, being poor and not having access to other kinds of resources makes you less liable to get an organ to save your life. 
So those are the issues on the receiving end, right? Mm -hmm. So the people who are wanting to receive an organ, some of the same issues are, are at play and maybe even more so at play on the supply side of this. Okay. So people of color or people who are underrepresented in medicine, uh, folks from those communities are less likely to be organ donors as well because of all of the systemic right. inequalities and inefficiencies and uh, issues that go into it. So the supply of uh, organs that are most appropriate for people of color, for example, are significantly uh, underrepresented in the supply. And that leads to worse outcomes on the other end as well. Oh, yeah. I remember we, we this got brought up when we were talking about the prison issue where prisoners are more likely to be people of color. And so wouldn't they be better organ donors? So shouldn't we pay them by reducing their sentences? Right. So that was the kind of the logic there. So it is true that um, there's an not enough organs for people of color and that people of color are less likely to donate and they would be better matches. Um, I still contend that the way to solve this isn't to pay prisoners, but uh, it's a <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> broader issue of, of supply and demand and, and how we're meeting that. So what's the solution? So the solution that the government is um, taking up is to open up the competition, basically the, the contracting process taking away this exclusive monopoly from UNOS, who not only has been the the primary overseer and organization since the inception in the early 80s, but they've actually, from what the reports that I've read, that they've actually never had a competitive bidding process for these contracts. Oh, wow. So nobody has ever stepped up and, and been able, given the opportunity to say, a different organization to say, you know what, we can do it better. Here's how we can can do it. And so these uh, these contracts are, are going to be these bids, these proposals are going to be accepted over the next several months. And the Department of Health and Human Services is going to pick one or maybe several mm -hmm. to try to organize this. What's scary about that? Number one, I think breaking up the monopoly will have good good outcomes. Um, I am of the belief in general that competition breeds innovation and, and it's going to improve it in, in some meaningful way. Not all the time. There, But this is similar to basically overhauling the air traffic control process in the United States all at the same time. Ooh, it's not scary. the case that we can, it's not the case that we can take six months and figure out how to do it sunset one organization, onboard a new organization, they have new ideas, new infrastructure, and then they get going. It has to happen. Like you said, a 40-minute delay in the process or a breakdown in the system leads to people's death. And so this is a process that not only it has to be efficient, but it has to be efficient immediately. Mm -hmm. And you know, having worked in big organizations of various stripes, it does not seem like it's a recipe for a smooth transition <laughs> well hopefully they've somebody's thought of that if you and i have thought of it somebody else somebody else. has thought of it <laughs> that's true <laughs> um that's true yeah but if so. they if if you know you guys want to call me if the biden administration wants to call tyler and i and ask for some suggestions we're willing to give them yeah i have some thoughts uh <laughs> yeah joe doesn't joe call you fairly regularly yeah i mean he calls me about all sorts of stuff we haven't talked about organs but um Maybe okay. I'll bring it up in our put, our next conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, put put that on your your weekly uh, agenda for 
the Biden administration. So lots of, uh, like you said, lots of smart people are working on this. And it's a process, like uh, I think the comparison to the air traffic control is, um, is useful in this situation because it's a process and a system and, and a, a, a way that healthcare is delivered that has to work. It's not like we can abandon organ transplantation and you know, try to figure out a different way or, you know, we, we have to make this work in, in order for people's lives to be saved and, and lives to be improved. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm obsessed about this week. Yeah, organ okay. allocation process. All right. And we'll po- post a bunch of links to articles about like what the proposal is and, and what the inefficiencies are and why Steve Jobs shouldn't be able to buy multiple homes and get an organ over somebody else. 